Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things reader's advisory, collection development, and reference right in your little ears. I'm your host, Susan McGuire, here to guide you on our journey through all things bookish and library land. Now, the title of this episode is Cool People Talking About Cool Books, which is something Rebecca Vanek said during our conversation. For those of you who are new to the podcast, Rebecca Vanuck is the Executive Director of Library Reads, and every year after ALA's annual conference, she joins me on the pod to do a little read and rave where we talk about forthcoming books we've loved and that we think library workers should know about. It's a chat I look forward to every year, not only because Rebecca is a cool person, but because I know it arms readers' advisors with a slew of cool books to talk to patrons about, that they don't have to go and read, because that's one of the dirty secrets of library work— You don't have to read every book you talk about. In fact, if you only talked about books you read, you would probably be not a very good reader's advisor since you'd be influenced by your selection bias and the limits of time. Whether you're listening to what coworkers are reading, looking at reviews like the seemingly millions we publish in Booklist, or listening to a podcast that talks books, ahem, learning to rely on others is one of the keys to good reader's advisory. And what better way to share cool book knowledge than with a read and rave? After the read and rave, audio editor Heather Booth spoke to audiobook narrator Aaron Bennett about how the SAG after strike will affect audiobook production and the role of celebrity voices in the audiobook landscape. Finally, I chatted with adult books senior editor Annie Bostrom about a book she's reading and loving for herself and one that she's reading with her daughter that she feels slightly more ambivalent about. But first, a word from some friends. Want to share that great Booklist Reader's Advisory content with your patrons? Now it's easy with Booklist Reader, a selection of backlist booklists and best ofs designed with your patrons' reading needs in mind. Want to know the best book group books? Booklist Reader has a list. Looking for great middle grade graphic novels? There's a list for that. What about the best mysteries and thrillers on audio? You better believe Booklist Reader has a list for that, too. Best of all, the titles featured are already on your shelves, so no need for frustrating holds cues. Booklist Reader is included with your subscription to Booklist, so you can share this digital magazine on your library's website or newsletters. Find Booklist Reader on booklistonline.com reader hyphen issues and start sharing the great reader's advisory content with your patrons today. All right, I'm here with Rebecca Vanuck, Executive Director of Library Reads. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Susan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to rave about books with you. It's my favorite thing. Right? Raving about books is so much fun. And I think you and I have this lovely, like, we like a lot of the same things, but there's also stuff that it's different. So I love raving with you because I'm like, this is, this is right. Vibe, man. The vibe. We vibe. We vibe. Yeah. But before we start raving, let's remind folks what Library Reads is, how they can be involved, stuff like that. Indeed, indeed. So Library Reads is a not-for-profit organization that creates the monthly top 10 list of adult books that library staff across the country are reading and recommending. We also offer free reader's advisory training and programming to public library staff. Our biggest thing, though, is, of course, the list. It comes out every month around the 15th, and you can find us on all of the various social media platforms as well as sign up for our newsletter, which will automatically send you that list. And the list, I always like to remind people, it's different from a bestseller list or an awards list because it's always, first of all, pre-pub. The stuff I'll be talking about today, as a matter of fact, you'll have time to download it and read it and vote for it. And we're not picking the best of anything. This is not a juried list. There's no committees. The list is actually voted on by the library world at large. So anyone who works in a public library in any capacity or any role is eligible to use Edelweiss and NetGalley to get advanced copies of books and then vote on them for the top 10 list. As I said, we also do programming and training. We're appearing at a lot of different state and regional conferences this year. So hopefully you will be able to see a lot more people this year. And if you check out our website, which is www.libraryreads.org, you can find the current list, our archive, which goes back 10 years, almost 1,400 titles that we've recommended over the years, and all kinds of information on how you can join us and be part of Library Reads. I love it. 
I can't believe it's been 10 years. 10 years. It's really exciting. This is our our anniversary year, and we are kind of just going to all kinds of fun stuff planned for the year. And I like what you said about how it's not a bestseller list. It's not a, a juried prize. You know, if, if folks think about how well the staff picks book displays go and their, yes. and their libraries, this is like a staff picks writ large. <laughs> yes. The nationwide staff picks list. We should have just used that as our tagline. <laughs> no, library read sounds cuter, but the principle is there. Yes, yes, yes. Well, yeah. So I hope folks will, one of mine is is too late to vote for library reads, but I hope folks will consider the books we're going to talk about as library reads titles. So I'm going to let you go first because I'm generous. Oh, okay. So what do we have up first? Reading and Raven. So are we going to do this like quick stop? Should we? No, let me, let me, I should explain what a read and rave is yes. in case this is yes. folks' first time tuning in. Sorry, that. So a read and rave is something that actually Rebecca started at annual, ALA's annual conference. And what it is, is you get a bunch of readers advisory librarians to sit in front of a room full of people and they go into the conference floor and look at what the publishers are offering, look at what's coming up in the next couple months, and they decide what looks good. They read it real quick, read about it, read as much as they can of it, and then they rave about it in front of this audience. They say, these are the books that we think your patrons are going to want to know about. And so so here they are. And you've got, so you've got readers advisory experts recommending things that will probably be popular in your library. So it's pretty simple and pretty fun. It is. And you know, have you noticed like, so we've been doing these for a while now mm-hmm. and every year it is like capacity audience. Like people love coming to this program and yeah. it, it's uh, really, it goes along with that whole kind of staff, staff picks concept, right? What do we want to read? We want to read what other people are reading. We want to, yeah. we want to know, I think to me, my, my thought process on it was always, Hey, there are so many books. And there's only so much you can get out of looking at the back of the book or, hey, this review sounds really interesting to have another person, especially a library person, tell you, OK, yes, this has been approved by me. I loved it. I want to read it. I'm excited by this. Like, that's what we all want. Right. We want that seal of approval. And so I love going to that program and looking out and seeing hundreds of people in this room. They're all eagerly. They cannot wait. We just say, yeah, it's, it's it's so much fun. It's so much fun, and I'm sure that you have reminded people before, but I'll say it again too. Susan does this great job. We all put it into a spreadsheet before the program, and then she puts it up on the booklist website, so you can, if you attend one of those programs or not, you don't have to write notes. You don't have to if you haven't attended the program. That's okay. That full list is there. So it's really, it's awesome that's a resource people can look at after conference and be like, whoa, here's 20 more books that my colleagues are talking about and are excited about. Right. It's a really cool thing. I love it. And I'll link to that, to that list from from annual in the show notes. And then all all the titles that Rebecca and I talk about today will be in the show notes. So no need to take notes while you're driving or whatever you're doing while you're listening to this. That's right. All right. Without further ado. Without further ado. First one I'll talk about is Hot Springs Drive by Lindsay Hunter. And this is coming out November 7th from the new Roxanne Gay Books imprint from Grove Atlantic. If anybody knows me, they know I love a good domestic thriller, as they used to all be called. I love me some psychological suspense. And this is going to be it. So basically, we have Jackie Newsome who is, oh, she's kind of your typical suburban mom, four kids, got some emotional problems, wants to leave her old self behind. She thinks she could be happy. And so she has this best friend, Teresa. And she's like, you know what? I want to be just like Teresa. I want Teresa's life. Teresa has this great life. And as a matter of fact, she wants to be so much like Teresa that she decides to have an affair with Teresa's husband. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. we all know gonna go not very good so um and i'm not giving lady spoilers you can all see this on the back of the book actually <laughs> uh teresa catches her husband and jackie and then all of a sudden teresa is unallowed and whoops who's our number one suspect? so yes it's almost 
a literary thriller, which I know is kind of a hard genre to, to sort of pinhole, but it's it's got a lot of depth to it, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's how I would say it, I guess. The characters are fascinating. And yeah, it's it's sort of like it rips apart the fragile veneer of perfect life in the suburbs. So that is Hot Springs Drive, Lindsay Hunter, Roxanne Gay Books coming out in November. I feel like I don't know what what Roxanne Gay's charge is with her imprint, but I feel like she's doing like literary versions of genre fiction. I read Lush Lives by J. Vanessa Lyon uh-huh. that comes out in August from and I think that's I'm pretty sure that's Roxanne Gay books. And that was like a romance, but with I mean, not that romances don't have depth, but with like story depth in addition to the emotional depth of the romance novel that I think makes it appeal to literary folks as well. Yeah. Fascinating new imprint. I'm digging it. One to watch. That Roxanne Gay is one to watch. She's one. You heard it here first. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) God. Okay. Well, my first book is... It has some thriller aspects to it. I don't know if I would call it a thriller. It's called Happiness Falls by Angie Kim, and it comes out soon. It comes out in August from Hogarth. Uh, So a father goes missing, and the only witness to his disappearance is his youngest son, 15-year-old Eugene, who has autism and a rare genetic disorder that I can't remember what it's called because I didn't write it down. Um, But he's nonverbal. So that makes the the search for the father complicated because he's the only one who seems to have any idea what happened. But the book is narrated by his sister, Mia, who's 20 years old. She's this hyper analytical woman who's like home for the summer from college and happiness falls follows this Korean American family as they try to figure out what happened. Did the father have a terrible accident because there's no other reason why he would have left Eugene behind or was there a reason? Was he having an affair? Did something sinister happen? And along the way, they find this notebook of his that detailed his work sort of attempting to quantify feeling called the happiness quotient. And without saying more, it all circles back to Eugene in surprising ways. And the author, Angie Kim, she plays with these ideas of language and communication, but it's still very much like a family drama with a prickly appealing narrator. And I think this one has a lot that book groups would want to talk about, especially Mm -hmm. those who like Celeste Ng. Uh-huh. It's got like family, but it also has like strong thematic elements. The stuff that she does with language and communication is really interesting, but it's also like super readable. So I think it would be a hit with book groups. And that's Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. What else you got? All right. So my next one is Old My Girl by Charlene Carr. And this one comes out from Sourcebooks Landmark, October 10th. And this is, when I saw this, I was immediately drawn to it because back in the day, you know, we used to have like the Oprah books, right? Mm -hmm. And you knew exactly what an Oprah book was. And then when that all sort of faded, we kind of came up with the term issue-driven fiction, yes. which is what I'm, again, you Jody know. Jodi Picot. Jodi Picot, yes. But I think when I did this at the Reader Rave, the first thing I said was, give this to your Jodi Picot fans. Like, yeah. they are going to love this. They are going to love this. In Hold My Girl, we have two women who have tried desperately striving for a child. And after seven years, uh, we have Catherine who after seven years, she finally, the IVF works. She gets her miracle child. But she's a little suspicious because the baby's very white and Catherine is very not. Hmm. And then we have Tess, who also had IVF at the same clinic. You know where this is going. Uh-oh. And yeah, so Tess, unfortunately, did not get her happy ending and her baby was stillborn. Then it also get a call right before the baby's, the surviving baby's first birthday that says, whoops, the fertility clinic, and we're pretty sure your eggs got switched. Aye. Yeah. So this is definitely one of those kind of ripped from the headlines type books. That's another great way to describe those. It's got themes of racial identity, of loss, 
of betrayal. It's very emotional. I, I also think this one would make a great book club book for the right book yeah. club. Um, you know, there's probably people who are going to find parts of this difficult to read, but you know that going in, like you could self-select out of this one for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good. It's good. You feel a lot for these women. And I think I'm not 100 percent sure I should look this up for. I think this is a debut, as a matter of fact. So oh, it is, it's, it's yeah, it's really, really good. Um, I'm hoping it gets a lot of attention. So that's Hold My Girl by Charlene Carr coming out in October from Sears Book. I remember assigning that one to someone for review, and I was like, oh, I hope they're okay with this controversial topic. It's It gets tricky, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my next book is the opposite of that. Good. <laughs> and I think I think the way that yours sort of harkens back to old school Oprah book, mine harkens back to old school chiclet. Love it. I love. I love me some old school chiclet. You know yes. me. This one is called Courting Samira by Amal Awad, and it's coming in November from Harper Via. And I think I think I read this right in the author's note that it was originally self-published in Australia, but now Harper Via has picked it up and they're publishing nice. in November. So that's kind of nice. interesting. But Samira is 27, Probably. so she's close to being considered an old maid in her Muslim community in Sydney. But none of, you know, she has plenty of suitors who come to call and visit her family and, you know, do like sort of traditional, they call it traditional door knocking. But they're either not, not as they appear to be on paper, or they wear tasseled shoes. She has a real problem with tasseled shoes. (laughs) Can't say I blame her. (laughs) But she meets, she meets this handsome man, Menem. At a work team building event. So, and she just assumes she'll never see him again. They like were flirting a little bit, but she's like, well, that was a fun thing that never happened again. But then her cousin and arch nemesis gets engaged and Samira runs into Menem because he is the prospective groom's brother. But despite their attraction, her family and friends are not very enthusiastic about this match, especially her friend Hakeem, who's acting, is he acting jealous? This is a, a frothy chiclet, I think. And, you know, again, chiclet is a term we don't really use anymore, but we don't have a term to replace it yet. So yeah, I'm just going to call it that. But I it has it. lots of t- sexual tension in it, despite there's no actual smooching, which is great. Huh? Because smooching huh? would be a big no-no for Samira. Definitely give us to readers of Uzma Jalaluddin's recent persuasion retelling, Much Ado About Nada, which was similarly mm-hmm. fun and sexy without having actual sex in it. Sonia Lali is another great read alike. Yeah, Courting Samira was just a lot of fun and a kind of a throwback, but also very contemporary. Cool. That sounds yeah. like I should put that on my list. Yeah, I, I think you would like it. Awesome. All right. My next one is In the Dark I See You by Malika Narayana. And this one is coming out in October from our friends at Union Square and Company. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I want to give them a little bit of a shout out. I had at the Read and Rave, I had another book by them that I won't get into today, but it's it'll be on the list. They have an interesting fiction catalog coming out this fall. I think they, they're really branching out into adult fiction. And it's the other one that I had talked about was, um, I have her here actually, Hannah, Hannah Tate's Beyond Repair. So again, Chiclet, very much like. Yeah. This one, however, In the Dark I See You is definitely psychological suspense and we have uh it's kind of an interesting story which is what drew it to me first i feel like i read so much psychological suspense that a lot of the books run into one another and i'm like oh wait did that happen in this one or in that one because it's all there are only so many plots to be told right there are only so many situations only so many stories that exist and we're running out of room we've told them all already so this one is exciting though because the first thing that got me into it the main character is a young woman named audrey who has suffered a trauma leaving her blind Mm. so that right away was like okay that's an interesting twist to a character that's going to cause some interesting things happening you know if you can't see it's your whole life is sort of suspense right it's, it's, it gets tricky so she has moved to a very quiet small upstate new york suburb in order to sort of rethink her life and relax and be safe 
it's so sleepy. The name of the suburb is actually Sleepy Point. So, right. So she's like, oh, this is great. I'm going to just be able to sort of settle in and no one is going to know I'm here and I can live my quiet life and and things will be fine. Except she's not quite what she seems. Mm -hmm. Audrey is, is a little bit of a bad guy. And the main reason that she moved to this suburb was that so she could live next door to this woman named Sarah that we don't really know at first how she's connected to Audrey and why does she want to spy on her and how do you spot on someone when you are blind? Mm. What's what's going on here? And of course, Sarah ends up dead. So, uh-huh. um, I'll stop there. So there's no other, you know, that no other, no spoilers happening. But it's fascinating to have this story of um, this this person who cannot see, but is not is not all she sees. Like, of course, the police are going to be like, well, of course, the visually impaired person next door could not have anything to do with this right, murder at all. She's like and she couldn't or... have seen anything. She's not even a witness, much less a suspect. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Wrong. <gasps> yeah. So, Ooh, so that's uh, the, right. It's a good one. So that's that is in the in the dark. I see you uh, October from Union Square. Nice. Well, sort of in keeping with our theme of psychological suspense. <laughs> I have my last one is a psychological suspense. Um, Perfect Little Lives by Amber and Danielle Brown. It's coming from Graydon House in December. And I their first book that I can't remember the name of, I think it was a library reads pick. It was set in like a fashion world. But in this one, uh, 23-year-old Simone is trying to prove that her father didn't murder her mother back 10 years ago in the New Jersey suburb where they used to live. She has one more appeal to the justice system or court system or whatever. And a chance run in with an old friend is a promising new lead, but it's a good thriller. So, you know, don't really know who she can trust. And one thing I really liked about it is that the authors really infuse social commentary into the book. Nice. Uh, Simone and her family are black and all of the neighbors back in this town were white and they address racial inequality in the justice system and like gender inequality and things like that. But it's still an amazing thriller. Plus, it's very sexy. There's sort of like a love triangle, right. even amidst all the investigating. There is a little bit of a true crime element to it because there's a documentarian working on a project involving Simone's father's case. I think if readers like Wanda M. Morris, they'll like these thrillers or even like because of the true crime thing, even Sadie by Courtney Summers, which was a YA book. But I think a lot of adults like that one because it had like true crime crossover appeal. That's but that's huge. Perfect Little Lives by Amber and Danielle Brown are identical twins. And they I got to meet them at annual and they are both fabulous. They're like these statuesque black women and they're just like. I mean, and they're young and they're very like hip dressers. And I was like, hi guys, what's up? It was very, very, (laughs) you guys are cool. So, and they were very nice. I mean, awesome. Awesome. But the book is good. Even if, even if they hadn't been nice, the book is still good. (laughs) So yeah, that's our rave. That's our little mini rave. We did it. Yay. Yay. And we we are not able to record the one that happens at annual. So I like that we are able to do this one as kind of a little sampling of what you get if you come to conference. Yeah. Good people talking about good books. Listen, nothing better. Who could ask for anything more, right? No. I mean, I guess like money or something. Right. (laughs) There's always that. But, you know, in the absence of that. In the absence (laughs) of that, we'll just take books. We'll take cool people talking about cool books. Yeah. All right. Well. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you, Susan. We'll talk to you soon. I hope so. Yay. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Say, do you like reading? Do you like hearing what authors have to say about their writing? Then you've just got to hear the Shelf Care interview. It's a quick conversation between a book lister and a book person about their work, their inspiration, and whatever else we can fit in under 15 minutes. 
Hear Maggie Reagan talk to Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds about Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. Hear Ronnie Curry chat with Susan Mwadi Daraj and Simon Nurali about their series for young readers, Farah Rocks and Sadiq, or to Saba Tahir, Nicole Andelfinger, and Sonia Lau and their graphic novel, A Thief Among the Trees. Hear Julia Smith talk to Tracy Hecht about the Nocturnal series, and more. Can you believe there's more? You can find the Shelf Care interview right on this here podcast feed or wherever you listen to Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast. Happy listening! Hello, this is audiobook section editor Heather Booth. This episode was recorded on Monday, July 17th, just a few days after it was announced that the SAG AFTRA union went on strike, along with Hollywood writers. Since many audiobook narrators are part of this union, I was curious, and I know any audiobook fans are as well, about the impact that this strike might have on one of our favorite formats. Erin Bennett is an audiobook narrator and actress who you might recognize as the voice of Ellen Hildebrand's books. She joins us today to talk about the SAG after strike and the implications that it might have on audiobook narration. So Erin, it's my understanding that audiobook narrators and as well as any actor who's involved in the strike can continue to narrate audio is audiobooks. That's correct. Our contracts are different and they are not affected by this strike. What we can't do is we cannot, members of SAG-AFTRA cannot do certain on-camera work. So we're, our, our, those, those of us who do theatrical contracts with SAG are affected in that way, but it does not affect audiobooks in any way. So we're very fortunate in that regard. That is, that is good. That is good. And it's nice to know that someone like you who does both you can continue in the one. So um, what do you see as the implications of the strike on audio narration? I I just saw that like Meryl Streep narrated the new Ann Patchett. And obviously she's a stage and screen actor as well as doing some audio. Do you see more people who are mainly screen actors possibly wanting to take on more audio? What do you see happening potentially? Yes, I, I do. I, I mean, at least temporarily, at least possibly during the strike, which of course we don't know the duration. So if this, the shorter this strike lasts, the, I think the less changes there will be. But I was actually speaking to a producer last night at dinner and she was telling me, she says, oh, I'm getting calls from you know, agents who, you know, their clients were heretofore unavailable. And now suddenly there's a little hole in their schedule. So, <laughs> um, so they'd like to take on that project. But for those librarians who are concerned about maybe their favorite narrators who aren't celebrities, I, I mean, if this is just, this is just my opinion, my feeling, I, I'd like to reassure them that I don't think Meryl Streep is going to do the next, for instance, cozy mystery cat in the stacks book that I absolutely <laughs> adore. Yeah. Um, I don't believe suddenly we are going to have an influx of celebrities reading uh, books that are in the the marketplace of the typical journeyman narrator. I, I live in Los Angeles, and you know, actors we we can we tend to. It, it, there's a lot of insecurity um, that goes with being a you know a freelance performer in any in any of that of, of these art. And I remember uh, I was in a class with this wonderful animation director and people were grumbling, ah, oh, celebrities this, celebrities that. And he said, no, 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 we need the celebrities. Celebrities, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. And people who have never gotten into audio before, listeners who may be attracted to their favorite celebrity narrating something may suddenly find themselves hooked on audio. Yeah. And yeah. that's what we want to get as wide an audience as possible. So I'm I'm very happy actually. I've I've learned to be grateful and I think there's room for everybody in this business. And if there happen to be a little more celebrity narrated um projects going on right now, well, I think that's ultimately good. Yeah, yeah, what a good point. I I'm thinking of like Lincoln and the Bardo that's full yes. of famous voices as well as as you called them, journeyman audiobook narrators, lots of lots of voices. A yes. project like that brings certainly brings people into the audiobook world. I think that's a, a wonderful thing. We want to recruit them into the fold, whatever way we can. Yes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a member of of the union that is currently striking, do you feel like the issues at play are some that audiobook narrators are also mulling over and considering? 
Of of course. And the writers have been on strike, of course. The WGA have been on strike for, I think, 75, 76 days. Everyone is fighting for, I mean, many, many things. And it's not just about compensation. It's also about the future of AI being used to duplicate our voices, our likenesses, you know, without consent, you know, the, the market forces labor is kind of always naturally in opposition to production and things, you know, wanting to be cheaper, better, faster, more. Yeah. But we know so far that you don't get better with AI. Mm-hmm. You may get cheaper for whoever's producing it, but it's not cheaper for the person purchasing it necessarily. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not uh, the quality that our discerning listeners have come to expect. Yeah. But, you know, I think we're very fortunate that these copyright issues, you know, you, you couldn't, you couldn't take my voice, put it through a, a generator and upload a book to YouTube, for instance, that, right. that infringes on existing copyright laws. So, you know, we're, we're very, we're very fortunate that those laws are already in place. They sort of protect us while also protecting the author's work. Right. But, you know, can we stop, can we stop people you know, ripping off our voices and uploading it to a short explainer video to TikTok. Well, you know, we're, we, it, that's a little bit like playing whack-a-mole. And yeah. that's just because the technology is evolving so quickly. So we, we can do that. But I think the most important thing we can do is, you know, listeners can stand up for what they want, which mm-hmm. is a human voice. Mm-hmm. Artists must continue producing that great work. Writers continue writing, you know, publishers, editors, agents, everyone can continue doing the same wonderful machine just like the 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 actors in SAG and writers want to make great movies and television for right. us you know that are written by humans performed by humans that's what people respond to right it's not something that can be generated by a machine yeah yeah or even a machine copying something that once was human <laughs> yeah like yeah a bad xerox of a bad xerox of a bad xerox it, it's yeah. not I think there was a a Paul Rudd movie about that. (laughs) Yeah, there was. (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking about the moments in audio narration that have really stuck with me. That uh, when I think of the book, I think of that moment. And they're, they're highly emotional moments where the performance is about so much more than the words on the page. And I, I just don't know how you could you could pro- computer program that. Maybe I'm naive in thinking that that's impossible, but I think there's an understanding that a human voice is speaking to you, is reading this book to you, is just, it creates such a a connection between the listener and the narrator. And I know I've, I've talked with other narrators who say, yeah, you think you, you think we're friends <laughs> because I tell yes. you all your favorite stories. <laughs> Yes, I I remember going to um uh I remember going to a workshop in LA that was about it was among other things they covered the art of the close up and I remember the teacher this was like back in my you know on camera days and and the teacher said you know why all these movie stars why everyone has such a connection to them right when you see them and it's twelve foot high twelve feet high or however however tall those movie screens are he said. You're so close to them. You're seeing their face so close. It's as if you're you're nose to nose. It's as if you are in an intimate relationship with them. So when you come out of that movie theater, you feel like you've been you've been in an intimate relationship with the with the stars or the you know the main characters. And I think it's the same in your ear. It's as if I'm speaking into your ear. It's as if we're sitting across the table from each other and I'm leaning in. Mm-hmm. And that kind of immediacy to me is the same as the close-up visually in a, yeah. in a, in a film or, or TV. Yeah. Well, we're so lucky to have that. I mean, it's, it's just such a, we have hopefully more people come to it now. <laughs> I know. Well, it, I mean, the, the numbers keep rising day to day after day, the amount, number of books in production. I mean, it's, Ever since I have been involved in the industry, which is about 10 or 11 years, mm-hmm. it has been expanding. Yeah. And yeah. that is such a wonderful thing. I never would have believed, you know, as things get shorter and shorter, attention spans, people are watching, you know, short movies on TikTok and mm-hmm. condensing things on Twitter to 240 characters. 
you know, I would go, everything seems to be getting shorter, but the rise of audiobooks, which is the most low-tech, long-form, ancient tradition, storytelling tradition, yeah. it boggles and enthralls me. I mean, it yeah. thrills me that, that that's happening, that people are listening to 9, 10, 11, 12-hour audiobooks and sticking with a story in the midst of our busy lives. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, I think that's encouraging. In yeah. every way possible. Yeah. I think it I, I often feel like an audiobook, because I listen to podcasts, I have kids who are showing me TikTok videos and things like that. But sometimes an audiobook almost feels like a respite. It's, you know, you sink into it and it's not the news bites on the radio. It's not songs that change. It's not the bombastic commercials that are coming to you from commercial radio. It's a comfort and it's it's almost you know, it's like a little vacation. <laughs> it yes, and it's like a friend. I mean, my dad sends me TikTok videos all day long. Yeah, you know, he's he's like, check this out, and I um, you know, it's great. It's like a little hit of a little hit of excitement. It's like yeah. biting into a donut, you know. But the <laughs> but the delicious like three course meal is is the audiobook with Absolutely. you know sitting down with a glass of wine. That is yeah. a, that is something that will nourish you top to bottom you know, beginning to end. And I love it. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Well, I don't want to take up much of your time. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share with our librarian listeners? Uh, audiobook <sighs> well, you know, I have a four-year-old now and we we are regular visitors to our local library. And I cannot tell you the joy of reading books with my with my daughter. I I just it, it discovering that again, you know, at at this time in my life and seeing it through the eyes of my daughter, the importance of the way she takes a book off the shelf and looks at it and says, "I want to read this, Mama." Yeah. And um, that is, and watching watching our librarians do the important work they do. And I, you know, I live in Los Angeles. This is a this is a, a challenging place to to be. And the demands on our librarians have are ever increasing. And to watch them meet that challenge with grace and creativity and still have time to pick a perfect book for my daughter. Um oh, yeah. <laughs> I I just love it. So thank you. Thank you oh, for your service. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, yeah. And it, that is that's that's our favorite part too, is seeing that child come in and and finding the book that that just sings to her. <laughs> That's wonderful. And I get a I get a I get a little ego boost every time I go to the library and see one of my books on CD. Yeah, that, that <laughs> oh, oh, I remember that one. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I hope yeah. uh, is it is it on hold? Is have people requested it? You know, yeah. <laughs> I get I get a little I get a little jolt. So um for sure. The library is a wonderful place for me too. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for that and for joining us and explaining a little bit more about the strike and how it's gonna impact the the audiobook world. Fortunately, it sounds like it's only positive for audio at this point. At this point, I mean, it, it's yeah. just, it's just, there are, there are so many, uh, you know, uh, the first, the first jolt to an actor is always, oh my God, you know, well, I have a job tomorrow. <laughs> you know, there's, there's always, there's always that. And that's for everyone. And, and the, the strike is very serious and people's yes. livelihoods are, uh, are impacted. I, I don't mean to make light of it at all to say that this has no consequences. It does, but, let's always boil it down to what is important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it it just kind of takes it down to brass tacks that what we do is important. Right. And what and, we do has impact and meaning. Yep. And the and, people that do it are important as well. Yes. And as long as we value that, we'll, we'll be on the right track. For sure. For sure. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for your time and I hope you enjoy the rest of your vacation. <laughs> Thank you so much. Greetings from Maine. Greetings. <laughs> oh, it's so pretty out there. But still beautiful. Professional development is super important for library staff, but finding the time and the funds is real tricky. Booklist webinars are a great way to squeeze some continuing education into your busy schedule. Each free one-hour webinar covers something staff can take right into their work. Like what? How's about picture books, or sci-fi fantasy books, or craft books, or book group picks, or library management, or library reads? So many topics covered each in one convenient hour. 
register to watch the webinar live, or to be notified when the video is up in the archives. All free! All just one hour! Perfect for those days when you only have enough time off the service desk to eat a sad sandwich in your office. Find upcoming webinars and archives at booklistonline.com webinars. I'm here with Adult Books Senior Editor Annie Bostrom. Annie, how are you? Hi, Susan. I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Good. It's summertime, which is never as relaxed as I want it to be. So let me let me start off by just complaining. <laughs> I was thinking, am I like agitated all the time just because I'm too hot? Yeah. We're not you know? built for this in Chicago. Uh -uh. Give me 30 degrees. Yeah. I'm looking forward to winter. I saw a really weird bug on a walk this morning. Oh, I was no. just like, go away. Yeah. yeah, there are no bugs in winter. Nope. Well, speaking of bugs, speaking of things that bug you, no, I, I don't have a good transition. I actually do once we get into it, but okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, slow reveal here, people. All right. So, why don't you share with us something you're reading and loving? I just finished reading the new uh, Lauren Groff novel called The Bastard Wilds. Ooh. And it comes out in September from Riverhead. And you're loving it. Or you loved it. You finished it. I loved it. You know, it. I read and loved her last book, Matrix, which mm -hmm. was this story of a woman who, after like a childhood as a crusader, she becomes a nun at this kind of falling down What's the word we're known? Convent? Convent, yes. And it, like, you know, the place transforms. It's really her whole life story. And it reads like this kind of channeled text of everything that she's experiencing and the spiritual vision she's having. And also is written in this language that feels utterly of a different time and place. And mm -hmm. this has a lot in common with that book in terms of it feeling like a channeled text to this place I've certainly like never been and never come close to imagining. And she also, in an author's note, she talks about how she loves writing in Elizabethan language, which how charming is that to love something yeah. like that? And, but the way she described it is, you'll find my extreme pleasure in playing with Elizabethan language and rhythms, sheer crunchy iambic delight. Oh. Which encouraged me to look up what an I am really is because I didn't remember. Do you? Is it a syllable? It's a it's a word that's like da da. Yeah, the two syllable word like delight is one where you have like a one syllable that is not emphasized and the second syllable is em emphasized. Oh, actually, there were a couple other examples when I googled. Have you have you ever used Google? Um, I think I've heard of it. It is that just, something you're reading and loving? <laughs> it, it just answers so many questions. Yes. Okay. Amuse, portray, delight, return. Oh. Anyway. I wonder um, if that's, well, I don't have good examples of two-syllable words, but there's words that like in the Southern accent, you put an emphasis on a different syllable, like pecan. Yeah. Or pecan. They say pecan. pecan. So then it's like not an I am in the South. Right. It un I ams. To talk about what the book is actually about. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> book. Um, it's about a girl whose name you don't know until, like, I think well into the second half of the book. A girl who is fleeing colonial settlement. And again, I looked to the author's note to place me. She referred to the starving time, which was in the very early 1600s in the Jamestown settlement, mm -hmm. when basically as you might guess from the name, everybody was dying. They're, they're just like, they had had no crops the year before and they were un underprepared and they were not friendly with the indigenous tribes nearby. And it was just, there was just like total death everywhere. So she's fleeing, you know, you sense there's more than that, but you don't know. And she's really just surviving by her wits. She's trying to, to get north to an area that she saw over some higher up's shoulder on a map. You know, she's just like looking for the one river and then the one river after that. And that 
that's really it. That's the whole frame of the story and then her just surviving. Yeah. Which brings us back to weird bugs because she eats them. <laughs> Ew. I mean, I guess you got to do what you got to do. It's great, though. I mean, it's like it rather than being disgusting, it made me think I should try a grub. A grub was good. She tried a spider that she was like, that wasn't good. I'm, I'm going to let the others go. So lots of eating of moss and rotten fruit, trying some dirt at times, eating mushrooms and waiting to see if they made her die. And then <laughs> wow. <laughs> that sounds like a deep story. It's a deep story. And it's like on its face, it's not a story that I would gravitate to but i know that i love the way she writes so i i didn't even think twice i didn't need to look at the summary before picking it up i love that when an author's re reputation like you really trust it mm -hmm. yeah and, it and I'm like, i the whole time i was reading it i i would was asking myself like what is it about this that like makes it so like spongy to me and i think it's just the way that she writes about everything that the girl is seeing and the nature around her and also her interior. Like she started as an orphan in, I think, London. And so presumably is not a person who could read or write, but she has these, she, she probably couldn't read or write and live 500 years before I was born, but is, or 400, I don't know, how do you, Sure. This isn't a math podcast. Yeah, but is uh, but is utterly relatable in so many ways. Also survives more than five seconds outdoors in winter, which you know I can hardly do. So, anyway, what I'm trying to yeah. say is, she's not like me in any way. But I was totally immersed in her and like getting it. You know? Yeah, that's really that's really exciting. I mean, and that's kind of what you want from a book. I guess it's not always the experience you want, but. That kind of immersive experience is really appealing to a lot of readers. Do you think it would be a good book group book? I do, because she also is pondering these huger questions about like her faith, which is mm -hmm. a real like battle because it's strong in her, but also the reason that she came to the to the new world is because her mistress she works for but is kind of more like beloved than a pure servant her mistress uh, as a second husband marries this minister who the girl is just like so sure is bad like just he's after something else like it's the idea of like the riches of the new world or whatever he thinks is good for them and like they they get there and just have this horrible life when they had everything that they needed before so she has like I mean, that's just like the start of the tension of the of her faith in God or something else. Um, and she's also pondering the, she's always talking about the people of her country versus the people of this country. And, you know, that's, once she's on the run, there's a threat of everything. I mean, she's afraid of animals, but also the indigenous people and also you're not exactly sure why, but the people from the settlement are going to come find her. So she really just, even on her own with no one to talk to, I mean, she's just, she's just really, it's really about everything. It's about how hard it is to be alone, but also how wrong headed all of the ideas about the new world and what the role of the people of her country was to come and have like dominion in this place where there were not only people already living there who had words and names for everything, but also like this whole natural world that she has to see so up close because he's relying mm -hmm. on it to survive and how there's just no domination. Truly. So yeah, yeah I, think, I think there's a lot to talk about. I mean, I just talked to myself about it for like five minutes and I saw, I think a book yeah. group would definitely could really sink their teeth into it. Cool. And what, what was it called again? It's called The Vaster Wilds by Lauren Roth from Riverhead. All right, we'll look for it. We'll look for your review and book list. Oh, yes. Got to do that. I'm excited. And what else are you reading? Um, lately, I've been reading and rereading and just really studying this text called The Berenstein Bears. <laughs> I don't know what it's 
it's like so it's a collection it's like a big hardcover of like six of those easy reader books that i got at costco because uh i just love buying things for daisy when we're at my my almost two-year-old daughter if she's with me i always want to give her something to play with and then or eat if we're at the store you know yeah I got this at Costco and I might live to regret it because it's her favorite book, but the easy reader books are so boring to read. They're so tedious because it's like, yeah, is it really there? I don't know if it's there. Should they go there? Will they go there? Yes. (laughs) But I don't, it just really speaks to her. And there's five books inside of it or six maybe, but we... We try to limit the bedtime reading to five books. She seems (laughs) to figure it out that it's like, is that one book or is it five? You know? Yeah. And she can tell if you skip some. So it's just really. Oh, dang. It might be donated to a little free library or at least hidden. (laughs) You don't want to encourage reading. That's the one thing. I I mean, it's just, it just turns their brains to blush. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Baron, I can't believe the Berenstein Bears are still around. They're still around. Okay, if I can just if I can just go off the rails for one second. One story yeah. that particularly upsets me. So these are like early stories from before there was a sister bear, and it's just like the oh. mom, dad, and the I think they call him baby. But there's this one story where they're looking for a um, picnic spot, and the dad uh, is just like, "This is the spot," and then it's like overrun with mosquitoes. And we're like, "This is the spot," and then it's like. A train goes through it or oh this is the best spot i've ever had a picnic at and uh they're like at the top of a tower and it starts raining i mean it's just like he picks all these bad spots and the whole time the mom is just like following like holding all this stuff and then finally they find the perfect spot and it's like their own house and like basically mom never gets a line in the story and it's just like working really hard and listening to all of dad's stupid ideas and it just um hashtag triggers you know mm-hmm yeah, they're not, they don't have a good division of labor. It's a little bit toxic masculinity. Yeah. At work. Mm. Maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, we should dissect these things. I guess so. You'll have to find something more enlightened for Daisy to read. Yeah. Or at least a Berenstein Bears story where mom gets to call the shops, you know? Yeah. If there is one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Berenstein Bears. Berenstein and Bears. And Groff. What a great. A great comment, two great tastes that go great together. Well, thanks for chatting with me. Thanks for inviting me. And I hope you have a lot of great reading in your future. Same to you. All right. Bye. Bye. And that's it for this episode of Shelf Care, the podcast. Thank you to Rebecca Vanuck for reading and raving with me to Heather Booth and Aaron Bennett for enlightening us on the current state of the audiobook world, and to Annie Bostrom for sharing some bookish love. If you like what you've heard, won't you consider rating and reviewing us on your nearest podcast app? That will help others find our bookish goodness. Thank you kindly, and happy reading! Happy reading!